Galatians chapter 4 this morning. If you would take your Bibles, please, and turn with me there. Our text will be in verse 12, beginning in verse 12, down through verse 20. Good morning, good morning. It is great to be here this morning. I did not know that Matt was going to pick that last hymn. Um, I don't know why, but this week, throughout the week, I found myself humming and singing that hymn. In times of uncertainty, Lord, we don't know what tomorrow holds. It's, it's that truth uh, that really brings us back. I'm just reminding, we have ultimately one purpose. We have one reason for being here. And that is simply to proclaim how great God is. Is Whether or not the busyness of Vacation Bible School that starts tomorrow, our local ministry here, our global ministry of what God is doing. Philip, my brother, thank you so much for sharing your heart. Our feasibility study that begins tomorrow uh, with, with interviews. God is doing so much and we exist for one purpose, that His name would be glorified would be magnified in this community. And it is just a wonderful, wonderful privilege to proclaim how great thou art. Would you bow your heads, please, and pray with me as we ask for God's direction and learning um, in our text and what the Holy Spirit has uh, for us through the Word of God today. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you and Together we, as, as one voice, want to proclaim how amazed we are at how, how great you are in your work surrounding us in the beauty of creation and in allowing us, Lord, even to gather today and in the freedom to worship like this with your word, your spirit presence. Father, I thank you, Lord, for establishing and ordaining the local church and for commissioning us with a single task to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. God, give us the ability, give us the strength, the means to do that. Father, I pray for each person, each family, home that is represented, that is listening to this message. God, I would ask that you in a unique and a in a, in a wonderful way, in a powerful way, would minister to hearts, draw our hearts closer to you through the preaching and the teaching of your word. Father, I pray for these young kids over the course of the next several days, many, many of them that will be here. God, I would ask that you would open their eyes and their ears to hear the name of Jesus and what Jesus has done to reconcile us as sinners to you, a holy God. I pray, Lord, for those that are struggling physically, emotionally, spiritually. I pray right now for one of our elders, Zane, who's in hospitals, strengthen his body and, and touch him and heal him and give Sandy an extra measure of grace and strength as she is alongside Father, I pray, Lord, for Stan Smith as he tomorrow begins a series of interviews in our feasibility study, Lord, that we would, uh, that we would determine how best to proclaim the name of Jesus in this community. I pray for this community. There, there are so many that are just locked in, 
ensnared in the darkness and the destruction of sin and, and sinful lifestyles. God, help us, Lord, this morning in your word to be reminded how we are to ache and how we are to, to pray and to love those who are lost so we can share with them the message of hope through the gospel. Lord, our, our work is clear, set out before us. But we need you. We desperately need you. I dearly need you this morning to assist us in being obedient and being faithful. Guide us now as we learn. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. A number of years ago, we were um, at a restaurant, nice restaurant, nice atmosphere together as a family, sitting by a window and looked outside, and you ever see something that, in all honesty, it just, you scratch your head with. You just simply does not add up. We were up in Vermont. I don't want to bust on Vermont too much, but there's some weird things in Vermont. A lot of artists up there, nothing wrong with artists. But I remember there was a, a beautiful, shiny, silver Mercedes-Benz SUV that drove right into the parking lot, actually not far from the window. And, and it was a beautiful vehicle, but the woman who stepped out was clearly an artist, and it was obviously clear that she was an artist because she'd actually taken some paintbrushes, just normal, like, kind of artist paintbrushes, and had painted over her entire vehicle. The, the hood, the sides, the windows, there were flowers, and there were rainbows, and there were butterflies, and unicorns on the beautiful silver shiny SUV and as we attempted to communicate to her to explain to her unicorns don't really exist it was obvious that it was one of those things that what do we call today it's a complete miss we're not quite figuring out where she's coming from have you ever experienced that before really overshadowing our entire text today is this idea of simply being perplexed at, at what is happening. Paul actually, he doesn't use the word until the very last verse. And he says, I am perplexed by you. The King James, the old King James actually translates it like this. I have my doubts about you. As we examine our text this morning, I want you to realize that that, that is really the 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 the, the feeling that he has with these listeners this morning, these Galatians, he is dumbfounded by their behavior. What has happened so far, we have understood that the Galatians' behavior is becoming increasingly disturbing to the Apostle Paul. We'll see in this text that not only is he perplexed by their by their actions, by their attitudes, but it moves to such a place that he aches for them. He is in pain physically. He hurts. And so somehow he moves from being perplexed by their behavior to being in pain by their behavior. Think of this. So far, the Apostle Paul has displayed himself as a wonderful spiritual father to the Galatian Christians. He has invested into their lives. 
He has visited them. He has taught them. He has discipled them. He has loved them. But now they have completely disregarded. They have, in a sense, stopped their ears to his teaching. They have ignored the truth of the gospel. And they are literally walking the other direction. Not only are they walking the other direction, they're now furious with what Paul has told them. It's, it's obvious because, like any loving father, Paul has had to chasten. He's actually had to correct the Galatian believers. He's not being cruel. He's not trying to be mean. But he has used some very, very strong language. So what he has done, in a sense, over the past couple chapters, is he has taken them out to the proverbial woodshed for a good old-fashioned time of correction. Listen to some of the language that Paul has used so far in the past. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians! Who's tricked you? Who's fooled you? Who has bewitched you? In, in verse 3 of chapter 3, he repeats it. Are you so foolish? You've begun by the Spirit. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Just last week we talked about the fact, what, now that you have come to know God, how come you turn to weak and worthless, to beggarly elementary principles of this world? Chapter 4, verse 9. Paul says, you have all of this and you're running from it. Now, after this time of very strong correction, Paul moves from firmness, I think like a loving father, even in correction, he moves from a firmness to a gentleness. He moves from what? From a spanking to a hugging. Physically, if he were there, you know what he would do like a loving father? He would sit close to them. He probably what? He'd wrap his arm and he'd hold them tight. He would lean in and he would talk soft to them. That's the context. You kind of get the background. You get the setting here. Let's read the story. Although Paul is in, in gentleness, they are not pleasant. They are not happy with what he is telling them. You know, oftentimes when you hear a, a message you don't like, what happens? You get angry with the messenger. That's what happens. That's what is happening in this text. Here it is. Pick it up in verse 12, Galatians chapter 4. We'll read down through verse 20. Brothers, brothers, I, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me. But you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. 
And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. A loving Father coming alongside and speaking in careful tones to His dear children. Let me give you three lessons this morning. I want you to hear from the the Spirit of God speaking through the Word of God to your hearts, to my heart this morning. Here it is, first and foremost. We need to, as a local church, be willing to hold on to the freedom that is found in Christ. First and foremost, we have to be willing to hold on, hold on tight to the freedom that is found in Christ. Paul begins with this in verse 12 of Galatians chapter 4. Brothers, I entreat you. The NIV uses the word plead. I plead with you. The New American Standard says, I beg you. He says, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. I don't know if you noticed or not, but this whole text is somewhat of a challenging text. Paul begins with this. He begins, interestingly enough, that in all nine verses, there's only one command. If you've picked up on any of the the way that Paul writes, he, he writes with imperatives, he writes with commands All the time. Stand fast. Don't be ashamed. Remember this. Return to this. Remind yourself of this. Hold on to this. Flee from this. There's always commands in in Paul's writing. And in all these nine verses, there's only one command. And he says this, Become as I am. First of all, let me just say that, that that is amazingly plain in the confidence that He has in who He is as a person. Think about this. You follow me as I follow Christ. Matter of fact, Paul uses that exact phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. Is that not confidence? I'm amazed at the confidence that Paul displays here. Paul knows exactly who he is and he also knows who he was. Now when he says, when he says this, become as I am, he's not saying make sure that you, you part your hair like I part my hair. He's not saying make sure that you wear the same kind of sneakers that I wear. It has nothing to do with that at all. Paul's saying what? I used to be proud. I used to be self-righteous. I used to be arrogant, self-absorbed, a grace-killing, Legalist, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I used to be a hypocrite, or in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, I used to be a whitewashed sepulcher, a whitewashed tomb, which means what? Oh, you look so pretty and perfect on the outside, and inside you are a dirty, disgusting, decaying mess. But Paul says, I want you to be who I am, present tense. I, I used to be as you are behaving right now. But Paul says what? Now I am in Christ. I want you to be like me. 
Paul says, I have trusted Christ. Now I have abandoned all efforts to save myself. Now that I have literally given up on being dependent upon my own works, upon what I can do, my, my what? Obedience to the law. Become as I am. One who understands that salvation is by grace through faith. Do that. Follow me. He continues on. He says, what? You did me no wrong. It's an interesting way that says, you know what? You've actually, you've been a blessing to me. You've not done me wrong. You actually have done a, a lot of good for me. And he gives very specific list here. A short list, but he gives a list on how they have been a blessing to him or how they have been good to him. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, it says in verse 13. Now, there's a lot of theologians that argued, a lot of scholars have, have questioned. They wished that they would have, Paul would have given more details on, on, on the explanation of this ailment, this physical sickness, this infirmity. Paul says, I came to you first and I preached. I preached to you because of a bodily ailment. Now, what is it? If we go back a little bit, we understand when we studied the book of Acts, it was Acts chapter 13, right before that, that that he went to Galatia, that he was beat. So some people would think maybe it's the, maybe it's the, 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 the cuts and the bruises, the black eyes, perhaps a grotesque, swollen figure that has showed up on the doorstep of these churches and they received him. We don't know. Some people say that maybe Paul suffered from malaria. He had contracted while he was in the coastal lowlands, <clears throat> excuse me, of Pamphylia before he got to Galatia. We don't know. <clears throat> Some would say maybe he had an eye ailment. That's the reference here that we see in just a moment. Whatever it is, we don't know for sure. In all honesty, we don't need to know for sure. Or else God would have told us that. But he says this very, very clearly. He says what? You did not scorn me. He says that you did not despise me. He says that you actually received me. You opened up your door to me. And then he says this. By way of a measure of one's love. You would have gouged out your eyes. And given them to me. I don't know about you, but I'm just kind of grossed out by that. It's kind of a graphic depiction. But I think that you would agree with me. That's that's a lot of love here. That's a lot of caring concern. I love you guys, but I just I don't know if I would do that quite yet for you. Hopefully soon. I don't know if you'd do that for me. It's just this, this, this huge, it has raised the bar statement that it says, I am so much in love for you. Scholars have indicated, well, because there's a reference to the eye, he must have had an eye element of some. He maybe had a, a, a vision problem or a sight problem. Bottom line is what? Paul is challenging these listeners. Enjoy the freedom that Christ has given to you to free you from your own works. And to trust in His works. Paul says, hold on to that. Secondly, he says, be prepared to hear the truth that is based on the gospel. Be prepared to hear the truth that is based on the gospel. The situation has turned gravely ill. Kind of the the theme or the temperature here. 
<clears throat> excuse me, the sting of discipline has begun to sink in, and they simply don't like it. The Galatians who had fiercely loved Paul, we would offer our own eyes for you, have actually come to a place that they actually hate him. To the point that Paul makes this statement in verse 16, have I then became become your enemy? Because I told you the truth? Do, do you realize this? That some people have a hard time with hearing the truth. Well, why, why is that? Well, you know why. You automatically, why? Because the truth can hurt. If we, we actually speak the truth, it can actually sting us. Why is it then that we must, we must, we must remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that says what in John chapter 8? Abide in my word. Then you are my disciples. Then what? Then this statement that we always talk about, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. What does this look like practically speaking every day? Men, you've been here with me, okay? Been shopping with your wife before. And, and she's trying dresses on. And for some reason, she doesn't want you to wander too far. Can you just kind of hang around this area right here? And a little, there's a chime that always goes off when she walks out, a little chime door. And she comes out, and there's a dress. And she goes, what do you think, honey? And you just look at it like, I love you. But you know that dress is, is just not cutting it. It's just not... What, what, do you, what do you do in that situation? Well, we, we've heard people say, well, you just, you just try to make something. No, I'll tell you what. Let, let me just make it. Tell her the truth. I love you dearly. I don't love that dress. And it frees, it frees her from walking out in public like that. You're actually helping her. <clears throat> in a sense, we have this. What? We have this idea that says... It doesn't matter if you're speaking something that is not popular or pleasant. You are under no circumstance supposed to stretch things. We have terms today in our society, well, it's, just a, it's, just, it's just a little lie, or it's a white lie. No, a lie is a lie is a lie. There is no such thing as a little lie. Paul is speaking to these people. These people have literally been, what? They have been... Been, been, had a distorted view. They're being damaged because they have bought lies from the Judaizers. They've actually believed lies. False teaching, corrupt doctrine has literally caused them. And Paul says, no more. I will tell you the truth. The truth may hurt, but I will tell you the truth. He says, what I preached the gospel to you. Well, what is the gospel? gospel automatically is a message that when we speak the truth of the gospel, it's going to sting people. It's going to hurt them. Why? It begins with the fact that there is a holy God and there are what? There are sinful men that are far from holy. The gospel begins with an offensive message that we fall far short. There's a holy God, there's sinful men, and there's only one way that we can be reconciled, and that is by putting our faith and a trust in the shed blood and the once and for all redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul says, I preach. That's a prominent verb in this text. I urge you. I advocate earnestly for you. Paul says, I've done that. Verse 16 says, I tell you the truth. People, we cannot go wrong by following the example that regardless of who the audience is, regardless of whether or not you think you're going to be offensive to them, you must speak the truth. When you abide in my word, you are my disciples. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Paul is literally holding on to, he is hugging tight to the word, to the truth. I thought for these listeners, I thought that, that hearing this truth from Paul's pen, reading it, it must have been pretty reminiscent. It must have, have, have come to their minds. They, they remember when he was standing there. They're, they're reading this letter now, and they remember when he was preaching, when he was there back in Acts chapter 13. They remember that. But sadly, what has happened, it has been some time since they've heard the truth, and they have run from it. They've, they've got angry with, with what? The messenger. The truth of the Word of God, the Gospel today, the message of the Gospel in and of itself is literally being pushed aside from pulpits all over our country and our world today. We must hold on to the truth of the Gospel. How often, how often do we hear what? Well, the, the message of the, it's just too exclusive. You're really telling me that there's only one way to heaven? There's only one way to, to have eternal life, and that is through Jesus? Yes, yes. That's the truth of what God's Word says. Well, the gospel is too restrictive. It can't be like that. Well, I'm sorry, but the gospel is restrictive. Well, it's too limiting. No, no, no. The gospel is perfect in its truth. And it's available and open to all who will hear, believe, and receive. One of the defining marks, one of the defining marks of false teachers and false teaching today is that they actually distract followers from the truth of the gospel. They get off the gospel. They place the focus on themselves. They place the focus on their own doctrine, their own traditions. They place emphasis on human interests, on human efforts. And that's exactly what is happening in this text. Matter of fact, Paul says this. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. The NIV translates it like this. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. Think of how corrupt churches work today. Think of how how crooked, troubled pastors are trying to draw attention to themselves. Think about cultist groups work. They're not praying for, they're not aching for souls to come into God's kingdom. They're trying to convince people to abide by their own rules and and come part of their own little kingdom. Paul says, I don't work like that. Paul says what the Judaizers have lied to you and I am telling you the truth. Paul says the Judaizers have sought, sought to glorify themselves. And Paul exists for one purpose, and that is to glorify Christ. He basically lays it on the line and says a true servant of God, a true church, does not make much of man. A true church, a true servant of God will always make much of Christ. Remember that. 
Always beware. If I could just give you a personal, always beware of the religious worker who makes a huge deal over you as opposed to a huge deal over Christ. Thirdly and finally, and we really get to the point of where we want to rest for this morning. How are we doing? Not real good. That's okay. My little children, for I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Third point, be ready to hurt for the hearts of other people. Paul says this, I am in anguish. He says, I ache. Paul says, I am in pain and I will continue to be in pain until you are like Christ, until you, in, until you are shaped, until Christ is formed in you. Well, what is this? What is happening here? What is Paul saying to these people? What is, what is the, the, the Spirit of God speaking to you this morning through the Word of God mean by that? It means this. It means that Paul is in misery here. He is losing sleep. Paul is shedding tears. Paul is in agony of spirit. Why? Because those people that he loves have been lied to and now are lost and are wandering. Now, there's no doubt what this was a church. This is a church or five churches in this region. There are believers that he is addressing. No doubt believers that have wandered from the truth. But within that context, no doubt there are unbelievers that are listening to this letter that is being written. He hurts so much. I find it's difficult because he's a man. He likens it to being in labor. Now, not to say, man, but we have a hard time with identifying completely with a woman who has been in labor. To to men... We kind of think, what? Well, I was with family this weekend, and, and, and whenever you get with family, we had a, a wedding up in, in another part of, of the state, and we get together as family, and we hear, and we're reminiscing about my little sister and, and her 11-pound, 6-ounce baby boy that she delivered a number of years ago. They're actually going to be in the second service today. They're, they're in town. Little Ethan, he's like 18 years old, 11. We're like, that is so cool. Well, she's like, no, that's not real cool. It is now, but it wasn't then. We talk about what my my little niece a couple years ago when she had her first baby, that she shattered the family record of 36 straight hours of labor. That is so cool, Liz. You win. No, it's horrible. Now, we as men, we what? We can't argue with this. It was God's choice, God's design. We wish we could feel the bane of labor for you, but we can't. So we move on. Paul says, this is how I feel. I ache. I'm in that much pain for you. Now think about what we have done as a church. What we have literally, what we have literally shouted over the past year. We have been very vocal Vocal. We have been very visible. We have made it very well known in the community that we exist as a local church for one purpose, and that is to glorify God. And the way that we glorify God is by what? Speaking the truth of the gospel 
in every single setting that we can. Why? Because the gospel literally transforms lives. We've made no, we've not been shy about that. The problem is, the problem that exists today, I believe, as your pastor, is that we're still doing that with a disconnect. We're sharing the gospel, but we still do it with a distance. Well, what do you mean by perhaps you speak? Some of you verbalize it regularly. Others of you need to do it more. You need to do it more. You speak and you share the good news, the truth. It's hard truth, but it's truth. We say it and what do we do? And then we just kind of walk away, we fade, and we just slump into our easy chair at home. And in all honesty, we don't really give it a whole lot more thoughts than that. I'm afraid to admit that we rest too well at night. Because what we're sharing the gospel, we do it without an ache, without an agony in our, in our hearts, in our lives. We don't, we don't weep over the condition that literally lives are in, the condition that marriages and homes and families. We don't ache for them. We don't ache for Christians that have been lied to and are wandering from the gospel. We don't hurt for them. Paul's telling us what? Paul's telling us we, we have to, we have to be in pain for those that could spend eternity separated from a holy God. And we're comfortable with all the coziness. And the joys of being together as a church with the blessings of family and the blessings of wealth. Why am I so clear on this? I had a disturbing, I have to tell you, it was a disturbing experience. It wasn't that long ago. It was literally, literally right outside in our parking lot a couple weeks ago. We were preparing as we need to do, and it is a very important ministry in the community. We were preparing for our vacation Bible school, and there's a lot of neat work that has to go on. And it's a wonderful ministry. I'm not, I'm not in any way negating any part. We were preparing for vacation Bible school. We had meetings, and I, and I watched. I drove in, and, and we drove in, and, and there's kids playing and laughing, and we're preparing, and we're bringing our stuff in. And I noticed that we all walked in, and I did the same thing, walked right into our church, and literally sitting on our doorstep was a young man. And we all walked by him, every one of us. I did it. And I was grieved by that. And we do our planning, we do our preparing, and it's important and it's necessary. And I was so grieved, I, I went outside and I sat next to the man and I said, who are you and why are you here? He didn't believe that, that even God existed. He knew no one in our community. He knew no one in our community. I sat with him and, and I apologized. We, we can't do ministry like this. I got his name and I got his number and, and, and we need to, and I'm not saying that this ministry is not important. I'm saying as we do this, people, we have to be aware as to what's happening around us. It's so easy to kind of focus on this is what we do because this is what we do every June. We always have the best vacation Bible school program. It doesn't matter about the best vacation school program. If we're missing and we're not aching and we're not losing sleep, 
over those that are lost all around us. And so as Paul, what, reminds us and challenges us to quicken our own hearts, may we hear this morning, may you go out from this building this morning and may you see people and may you not walk by them, but you may, may you come alongside and sit next to them and share with them the hope. I've, I've, I've talked to many women who have given birth, many women who have gone through horrible hours and hours of labor. And I've never met a woman, I've never met a mom who said the pain of childbirth was not worth the blessing of a new life. I've never met a mother who would ever say, well, I wish I didn't have that pain. Because look at the blessing. Look at the joy. Look at the new life that God has blessed me with. People, we we have got to I have got to be more aware as to our surroundings. We've got to have our eyes opened. We've got to have our ears in tune so that we understand what it means. There's, there's what? Wonderful truth of God's Word. We step from it. There's going to be a, a point of discipline from a loving Father like Paul does. That's important in this text. There's going to be times, what, that people want to compromise the truth or the integrity of the gospel and we can't do that. That's important. That's in this text. But that's still a little light bulb. The big light bulb, the shining beacon here is that there is one who aches for the lost, for those that have been lied to. And we need to do the same. May God quicken our hearts, open our eyes, and tune our ears to those that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ around us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Give us the strength to be obedient to your word. Forgive me for the many times that I have neglected to speak. I have missed the person that literally is standing next to me. God, help us, Lord, to leave this, this, this room this morning with a heaviness. God, if need be, give us a sleepless night tonight and bring to our Bring to our minds the faces and the eyes of those that we know that if they were to die, they would go to a Christless eternity. And may we be bold to share with them the hope of the gospel. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Tim, would you stand with us as we close? And uh, as we go out and we sing.